Hello and welcome to the Almost LA Podcast. My name is Aiden. And my name is Audra. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's a lazy Sunday for sure. It is a lazy Sunday. We are getting a late start. Um, The Oscars are on as we speak, so Mm -hmm. we decided to do a special Oscar edition that talks about the history of why the Oscars are at Hollywood and Highland um, currently. And not too much about music this time, but um, I thought this would be a little bit interesting. I don't know if uh, interesting will think it's interesting and <laughs> relevant, <laughs> especially. It's interesting and relevant. Right. I kind of went on a rabbit hole with this whole thing. So, okay, so Hollywood and Highland is where the Oscars take place, the Dolby Center. You have been. Uh, by there, correct. Mm-hmm. We've stayed at we've stayed there's a Lowe's uh hotel right there that we've stayed at one time. I've stayed there a couple times. Um you've gone into the shops right there. There's a Sephora, there's yep. a you've been into like the courtyard and seen the big Babylonian archway with the crazy elephants and the kind of out of place structures there where you're like, oh wait. What's this doing by Dave and Buster's and uh, um, I don't know Lucky Brand jeans right. or whatever it is? Didn't right we there. see DJ Khaled driving in his G wagon right there? As I well. think we did see DJ Khaled driving. I remember his... that right on Hollywood and Highland. That was it was literally yeah. right there in the corner. Yeah, and if you see DJ Khaled, he's right there. <laughs> he hangs out there all um, the time. And then when you go out of the center right there with all the shopping, I think there's a Gap there and H and whatever. Um, you know, there's the um, Hollywood. Walk of Fame mm-hmm. with all the stars, with all the either um, actresses, musicians, directors, cinematographers, all kinds of stuff um, on the stars there. So I think people, thousands of people a day probably walk by all that stuff not knowing why that stuff is there or what the significance of that corner is. So we're going to discuss that today. All right. So my sources for this episode are largely from this awesome big kind of story picture book that I have called The Story of Hollywood by Gregory Paul Williams, an article from KCET.org called The A Charming host, Hosterly, which is an in. Hosterly. Hosterly is a very difficult word to say. <laughs> um, an article uh, from L.A. Curbed called How One Ohio Native Became the Mother of Hollywood and the Britannica.com. Okay. So. I'm going to start like a gazillion years ago and picture you do know. Okay. Did you know mm-hmm. that there was a fault line right underneath Hollywood? I did not. Okay. Actually, there is a fault line that has created into Hollywood. That's a, a, a appropriately called the Hollywood fault line at this point um, that created all those small hills uh, right there okay. with the Hollywood sign is on called, and those are called Kawangas. Now, Kawanga is a bastardized version of the original uh, Native American word, and I'm going to butcher this as well, called cab, cabuangna. It's C-A-B-U-E-G dash N-A. Cabuangna. Cabuangna. Like but we kind of changed it, you know, the white version is Kawanga. <laughs> right. So, okay, picture, you're standing on Hollywood and Highland. Okay. 
There's no structures there. There's seven foot cacti everywhere, wild sunflowers, alder groves, fresh streams running through all the canyons. Amazing, right? That's a very different view of what I actually have <laughs> right. of that area. So, <laughs> so the first people in the area are very peace-loving, like gather hunters, fishers, called the Hokan tribe, okay. H-O-K-A-N. They were the Hokan-speaking people. They occupied the area. They were eventually pushed away or absorbed, nobody's really know for sure, um, by a community of people called the uh, Tongva tribe. And okay. they came from Nevada, kind of migrated over to the, uh, the west over here and either kind of pushed the Hokans away or kind of they all kind of became one tribe. They called the area Yah, Y-A-A. Um, they were in the area for thousands of years. They had a very big, well-established tribe until the Mission San Gabriel Archangel was built in 1771. Mm. Um, and we, being Californians, all get a big mission history in elementary school. Um, probably a whitewashed version of what happened when the missions were put up. But uh, basically, white man came in, Spaniards came in, relocated the Native Americans, uh, disease wiped them out, and eventually wars and awful things happened. Um, so the Tongva had a trading village in what is now Universal Studios. All right. So their main trading place was where Harry Potter is. Um, and the main footpath that they would take is now basically where the 101 is. So that really? pass, that valley right there is called the Coanga Pass which the 101 kind of comes through into Hollywood right there. That's the Coanga Pass, yeah. and the Trading Villages was right there at Universal Studios. Okay. So that was kind of why that, you know, that was also their hub and their walkway, so that pathway has been there forever. Yeah. So it makes sense that early settlers, white settlers and Spanish settlers that came after that, you know, continued to use that pass as kind of the main area because also the LA River was flowing th actually flowed through there directly at that time and then th over time the mountains kind of pushed it up and then it flowed a little bit more east if I'm getting my geography correct hmm. um, so by the 1880s if we're kind of getting to current er, current in my standards more modern early yeah history <laughs> yeah. of La Los Angeles right. in the 1880s is a very bustling noisy crowded city pollution already starting um, and people were already looking, uh, you know, um, of a way to retire kind of out of L.A. when they were done with their businesses and stuff or just to try to get a quiet weekend away somewhere. Um, and this brings us to the mother of Hollywood, and her name is Daida Wilcox. She uh, was born in Ohio, and her family actually was one of the first pioneers to settle in Ohio. So she comes from a very kind of pioneering, adventurous family. She married Harvey Wilcox, who was like 30 years older than her. And in 1883, they moved out west because of the weather. And he was kind of a, he farmed a little bit, but he also um, had this amazing uh, horse, you know, business that he did. He had these like amazing white stallions that he bred and hmm. he was known for his horses and carriages and stuff. And also at the time, the... Uh, Santa Fe Railroad had been completed, newly completed, 
so LA was finally connected to the rest of the country and the train tickets were pretty affordable um, around $25 and so they came out and they settled on Figueroa Street in downtown LA and they got pregnant with a little boy but he tragically passed away when he was about 18 months old and this kind of sent them into a depression of some sort and every Sunday when they didn't have to work they would take Sundays to go out on these long carriage rides out of town towards the ocean and Daida fell in love with the the Coenga Valley um, and she wanted to buy a bunch of land there and, and see what they could do with kind of building a neighborhood up in that area the area before people kind of started buying lots out there was mostly agricultural. There's poinsettias, you know, fruit trees, um, because it's called the frostless belt. So, like right now, when it's we're kind of have this cold snap and we have frost here in the mornings right now, especially um, that area right there, because where it's covered by the hills. Yeah. It, they, you know, a lot of stuff, even what it would freeze over, doesn't freeze over. So it was a good agricultural region. Um, she loved all the fruit trees and the fresh air, ironically, that aren't there anymore. They bought 120 acres of land in hopes of turning it into like this residential utopia. So um, right now, their area is basically Hollywood, the hills, Hollywood, Highland, um, down to like Vine and then over kind of to um, not quite to La Brea there was like an end street but I can't remember what it is on the east Um, and then another guy his name is Whitley he kind of from the end of their property west or west Moore had his kind of tracks of homes that he was building and then there was another person Los Los Feliz that had some property up there so there was all these little neighborhoods that people were trying to like trying to pop up to be the country kind of get away from LA but this was their little tract and they were um, against alcohol they wanted to have this like alcohol free wealthy um, retirees and kind of wealthy pioneers come out and settle there is what their dream was oh oh, that how that changed (laughs) exactly um so this is something i did not know everybody knows the story of the holly hollywood land sign up there and then they took you know which was a a tract of homes that went up in the hills in the 18 18 in the 1920s the actual name of hollywood came from um data um what did I say her name? I can't pronounce her name. Daida. It's D-A-E-I-D-A. I specifically looked up the pronunciation. Um, she was on a train going back home to the Midwest, and kind of the story goes she ran into this other woman on the train who had a farm in Illinois or or Ohio, depending on the story, you know, the, which story you kind of read. And she had a farm that she had named Hollywood after a Dutch settlement in Belgium. So this other woman on the train, she has a farm that she called Hollywood, and Daida was so impressed with that because there was also a lot of holly plants mm-hmm. in the area in L.A. that she thought it was an appropriate name for their neighborhood. So that's where the name Hollywood comes from. Oh. Pretty interesting, huh? Okay. Yes. Oh, wait. So then the Hollywood land thing. <laughs> Hollywood was already established at that point from Daida. Really? And so, yes, they built on the, the hills. The Hollywood land hills was a whole new subdivision in like the 20s, mm-hmm. 1920s when that sign went up 
And so this was in the 1880s that she came up with the the Hollywood's um, name. Okay. So, um, so they took all these acres of lands that they had, they subdivided them up and they plotted and named the streets. So for example, um, I think Highland used to be Romaine Street, which is now Highland. Um, Wilcox has his, there's a street Wilcox already there. Um, Daida had her own street named Day Street, um, but I can't remember what that turned into. That's no longer there. Ivan and um, Selma were the children of um, like a a man, like a farm manager or like some guy that worked for them was their two kids' names. Um, So those are kind of the examples of those names right there that are still around. And Harvey was obsessed with these pepper trees. So he planted perfectly lined pepper trees up and down both sides of all the streets in their neighborhoods and it was beautiful it gave everybody shade so when you would come down riding on your carriages you would have shade from the sun and they were like beautiful trees he registered the official map of hollywood at the la county courthouse in february of 1887 and you can i can put that up on instagram it's kind of a cool map to see the his signatures on it and everything and pretty soon um, lots were for sale uh, retirees flocked out there, and the original main dirt road they couldn't grade, um, grade, grade the streets to make them better because they technically the ordinance was they had to live um, in their tracks, which they didn't have a house yet. So the streets were kind of dusty and bumpy still, but the main street, which would soon become Hollywood Boulevard, was actually called Prospect Street first. Mm. And people came out and they bought all these acres up and, and, and they bought built these beautiful Victorian and Craftman homes. So the whole Prospect Street, later to be Hollywood Boulevard, was just lined with these humongous, beautiful mansions with these with these pepper trees. Um, and, of course, Harvey was this big, dry, no alcohol, so you couldn't drink or anything in the area. That was an ordinance as well, and they were really stuck to that until as long as they could. He died, Harvey unfortunately died in 1891, and Dada married um, another man named Philo Beveridge. Beveridge? Beveridge? I guess it's Beveridge. And the, and he was kind of like, his dad was, I think, a governor or senator of Illinois and kind of from a prominent family. And he was kind of this good-looking guy, I think he, and kind of in and out of businesses all the time, yeah. but they had a ton of money. And they went on to become Hollywood's first elite couple. They were constantly throwing parties, you know, um, always entertaining, and they were always in the paper. Many LA Times articles about them. And she continued to sell off lots for schools, churches. Um, They built the first post office, making Hollywood official, and um, hotels. All right. um, Eventually, throughout their years that they were there. And this was their, you know, finishing up their dream of like this perfect neighborhood and then became this pretty soon there was this battle to have the big commercial center so now with all these people living out there of course they needed shops and like a commercial center for everybody to kind of go and spend their money um out there and the guy to her west whose name was uh hj whitley and he had attractive homes called the ocean track or some something of that line they had a battle between what was going to be the big Hollywood section, you know, intersection where everybody would come and meet and, and shop and 
go to church and you know go to the post office and uh data uh was in contention you know in co- a contender with that with whitley and so the two roads that they were thinking of were either prospect and highland which was hollywood and highland which was whitley's kind of corner that he was trying to build up and then data wilcox with uh hollywood and Kawanga. um but whitley won out eventually and because he decided to build this big elegant hotel on the northwest corner of Prospect and Highland, which is now Hollywood and Highland. And the guy that won the contract to build it was named George W. W. Hoover. And the building was was a two-story cement and plaster building. It eventually became this huge sprawling hotel, but the original one was a mission-style design. And it had like this, wrap around beautiful wrap around porch and everybody would rock their rocking chairs on it um and it was called the hotel hollywood the la times uh had a article describing it in the june 21st um 1903 issue and it was described it as quote Situated in foothills, blending ocean and mountain breezes, excellent cuisine, a 13-minute car service, reasonable summer rates. So what blew me away from this was um, the hotel was situated on the L.A. Pacific electric car line, which boasted you could get to the from the Hotel Hollywood down to the center of L.A. in about... 13 minutes or like 20 minutes roughly oh wow <laughs> wouldn't that be yeah, nice for real <laughs> and other places i kind of read like it soon became 30 minutes yeah an hour right. you know but that was kind of the initial one of the initial 1903 you know what they were i don't know if that's fake news or what hopefully but elon it was musk, 13 minutes hopefully elon musk can, can get us back to that uh short time soon with his underground roads and all that crap yeah wouldn't that be nice? yeah for real um, so I thought another interesting quirk was because these roads were still dirt and there was a 1905 ordinance that was signed banning sheep from being herded up Hollywood Boulevard <laughs> because there was eventually a school there. Really? The original Hollywood, um, high school was not where it is now, but it was somewhere in that kind of area on Hollywood Boulevard and classes would have to stop and get disrupted because there was so much dust because they would herd like 800 sheep at once. And it would just be loud and dusty and people couldn't concentrate. So they banned that, which I thought was kind of funny. So I'm going to give you a little history of why movies came to Los Angeles. Okay. Do you know why this is now the film mecca, which is probably not an appropriate term to use, but the film like haven of the universe? I don't know. Do you have any idea? I'm going to, I'm going to take a guess. I have no idea why, what caused it, but I'm going to take a guess that it happened in the 50s 40s and 50s that's the only thing i the only knowledge i have about this maybe cool okay was i right well, here you go no not <laughs> close <laughs> okay <laughs> you're saying that when marilyn monroe was famous right. that's when film started well uh, maybe like it started to be what it is now do you know what i mean like a huge well, yes well legendary that's probably industry. true okay no <laughs> okay so <laughs> so close <laughs> so close so in the 1900s, the early 1900s, 
Thomas Edison, you know who he is. Okay. Thomas Edison's motion picture patents company, based in New Jersey, owned most of the movie-making patents. So if I'm to jog my own brain a little bit from a drunk history that I watched about Thomas Edison and his movie business, um, and if anybody wants to watch it, it's great, and they'll give you the accurate story of this. But he, Thomas Edison, um, and this other guy were in the, the race to like, or somebody, one of them made the first moving picture kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? But then Thomas Edison went ahead and created like all the parts that were associated with that. He patented all of them. So when anybody else tried to make a movie, he'd sue them, especially independent filmmakers because they had no money. He'd sue them and then put them out of business and they couldn't make any movies because they were using the same parts. Right. So it's like it was totally unfair. So he was trying to monopolize on this, you know, and have the monopoly on all this movie business. So the guys that were like mostly independent movie makers that wanted to avoid that and keep doing their craft, they fled to LA basically because the Santa Fe, you know, railway was getting out there and because of the weather um, and because a lot of miners who had made a ton of money um, from San Francisco had moved down to LA. That's basically why LA was like, the mission was there. And that's kind of where the center of L.A. started was the mission. The things popped up from there. And then, of course, the miners came down to people that had made money in the mining, you know, the gold rush, all that, yeah. had money. They moved to L.A. And then the filmmakers moved out looking for money and, and nice warm areas to kind of shoot their films, hence L.A. Right. And they figured um, if Edison had any way of getting out there like his agents came out to like sue them or track him down for money that they would just hop and skip down to mexico real quick and edison wouldn't be able to touch him so that was basically why the movie business moved out there so the first movie studio opened in 1909 and by 1911 16 other film companies had arrived in hollywood um but the movie business was not welcomed specifically in the Hollywood area. And the reason they kind of settled in Hollywood because the East Coasters thought LA was kind of a hick town, um, ironically. And they thought Hollywood was this quaint kind of country place. So a lot of the actors ended up staying out there. A lot of them, um, they call them gypsy camps of these movie gypsy camps would pop up because it was kind of in the middle of nowhere in the country. So they'd have tents, they'd pop up, they'd fill, shoot some a short film, they'd break down and leave. Um, they were called these gypsy camps. Um, and the movie crews, the performers were con- kind of considered rough around the edges. Uh, I think a lot of them were probably not the most desirable human beings. So they caused kind of a lot of problems in these quiet neighborhoods that where these retirees were living. Right. Um, and then also, with this tons of film that they were using that contained this silver and all these chemicals um, to get rid of the unused film and the retakes, they would keep throwing these piles of reels into the incinerators. And this, so the smell, you know, once was like the, all these fruit trees and lemon groves and all these wonderful blossoms and smells in the, in the air. Now you have all this like terrible burning f- film reel So it, that just kind of took over the town. LA was like always smoggy. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So, you know, people that were moving into these hotels or moving into these nice apartment buildings and stuff, the signs on the windows of any rentable home or apartment said no movies. So they'd have like these no movie signs, meaning no actors, <laughs> nobody in the movie business could rent there. So the Hollywood Hotel, or excuse me, the Hotel Hollywood at the time, it actually changed to the Hollywood Hotel in the 20s. Um, they kind of came like the center 
for people staying um, that were like these nomadic actors who wanted to be close to the movie studios. Um, so I'm going to add a little bit of music I'm just a history. I was trying to bring some music element into this episode. The hotel had its own orchestra and they played every Sunday evenings. And then between 1912 and 1925, um, Mira Hershey of the Hershey dynasty, Hershey chocolate dynasty, Mm -hmm. she owned the hotel and she would sometimes sit at the piano and play Bach, which was her favorite composer. Um, And kind of a funny story about her during this time, she really had a hard time enforcing these like no alcohol laws and all these very prim and proper laws that she had in the hotel. So she was constantly just like all these people had these funny stories of her constantly running around trying to um, steal people's liquor that they were smuggling into the hotel. Um, If somebody was trying to get extra peas at dinner and weren't paying for them she would like give you an infraction i don't know what the infraction was but you'd get in trouble um the the actors that would get loaded in these little starlets that would get loaded and like start dancing if they were dancing too close or too frisky she'd come by and like separate you so it was kind of like a high school dance for actors (laughs) permanently in the hotel actors and actresses are supposed to go to high school parties yeah and if you were a starlet and she caught you not in your room after bedtime you would were immediately evicted what Mm-hmm. So there were many famous silent film stars that stayed there. Valentino actually had his own room. I think it was like room 236 or something like that. And when actually when the hotel was demolished, they saved his hotel room number because he lived there for so long. Greta Garbo lived there. Ethel Barrymore of the Barrymore kind of dynasty film um, dynasty family. And there were so many famous people that signed the guest book of that hotel. It now sits in the Smithsonian Institute. Oh, wow. Um, so the hotel was there until 1956 when it was demolished to become a bank, a department store with underground parking. So it was kind of like this. That was the first sign that the hotel was taken down. And there was this kind of business century with the bank and these different stores. And then underground parking kind of took over. And the dining room of the hotel, um, which I'll post a picture on Instagram, which is really cool. The dining room used to have the names of all the silent stars that stayed there in gold leaf, um, painted gold leaf on the wall, on the sorry, on the ceilings of everybody who ate there, any famous actor. And that ended up being the inspiration for the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So uh, they literally took like, you know, the historic ceiling idea from this iconic hotel that had been there for so long and basically transferred it from the ceiling of this place to when they decided to to create the Hollywood Walk of Fame. They were like, let's take the idea of doing the stars with the people's names in it, and that's where the, that inspiration came from. Right. Um, okay, so that's where the, the Hollywood Walk of Fame the hotel was there. That all ties into that to now modern times of why that's okay. there. Now we're going to move on to the Babylonian theme in the Hollywood and Highland Center. Uh, D.W. Griffith started as an actor, and he made 48 films in one year, and he actually made the very first movie in Hollywood called Old California. In 1915, he constructed um, the set of his film Intolerance. Now, the history of this guy and his movies, his two movies were Birth of a Nation and Intolerance. The Birth of a Nation is actually in like the, 
I don't know, when they were redoing, when they were preserving films for the first time, his was like one of the first ones to be slated to be preserved. It was very controversial. It depicted like racism, Ku Klux Klan. It was this whole thing based off of um, the First World War. Hmm. And it, it's way too extensive for me to go into, but if anybody's interested in it, there's a gazillion things you can read about it. And his film Intolerance was kind of a um, his response to all the criticism from his first film, Birth of Nation. It's an it's when everybody was doing these like shorter films. This is the first epic silent film. It was three and a half hours long, and it had four parallel storylines about murder, greed, passion over many centuries. And so one of these parallel, one of these storylines was about Babylon, hence the Babylon theme. And he was very wealthy at the beginning of this movie and poured all his money into it and created this monstrous set, um, which ended up being constructed where today is the Vista Theater. So if anybody knows what the Vista Theater is, this is where this Babylon set was once constructed. The walls were about 90 feet high and the columns that the elephants are sitting on top of um, match the height of the, the Babylon art archway. And then the elephants on top of those columns tends to be about roughly 140 feet tall. And then the whole thing is like 40 feet wide. So those two things, the archways and the columns with the elephants on them are the inexact replica that are in the sitting in the center of the Hollywood and Highland Center. So that's why that is there. When the the movie completely flopped, he lost a ton of money, which actually he ended up being like destitute the rest of his life because this movie, he had no money to, to dismantle it. So that whole movie construction stayed until 1919 um, on that dirt road where the Vista um, theater is right now. Mm-hmm. And kids ended up using it as like a playground <laughs> for like years yeah. until they finally took it away. Um, so that is why there's that Babylon theme. It's kind of a um, it's kind of a nod to the movie making business that was going on around the time and the crazy sets that would go up and then be torn down and all that kind of stuff. Um, a little fun fact that I read, which I thought was interesting, was false eyelashes first became popular because this movie Intolerance. They were there's a whole history of fake eyelashes that you can read that goes back to like the 1400s, which is crazy to me. But they became in popular use specifically with like movie starlets moving forward, using them on screen because this movie, because he wanted this actress, Sheena Owens, who's in the movie, to have, quote, supernatural lashes that extended to her cheeks. And they used this substance called spirit gum that was generally used for like wigs and stuff to hold her lashes in place. And she would come to the set with these humongous swollen eyes that she almost couldn't see out of. But on film, it looked so great. They just kept putting her through this torture of, like, these eye things. Yeah. (laughs) So that was a little side note that I thought was interesting. Um, Okay. So now let's jump to the Academy Awards in honor of today. The first Academy Awards ceremony was on May 16th, 1929 at the Roosevelt Hotel in their Blossom Room. And the Roosevelt Hotel is pretty much across the street from the Hollywood and Highland Center. It's down the street and down a little bit. Um, The Oscar statue is a knight standing on a reel of film holding a sword in front of him. And the 
MGM art director Cedric Gibbons designed it, and the sculptor George Stanley cast the original statue. The model for the statue was Emilio Fernandez, who was a prolific Mexican film director in the 40s and 50s. Um, and he, I kind of read up a little bit on him. He kind of had this fascinating life. He was always obsessed with like some actress or whatever and on to a different woman and having kids with, you know, different people. And he, he just kind of had a very fascinating life and he had a humongous movie career and he was a soldier when he was younger too. So he was kind of a fascinating character. If anybody wants to look him mm-hmm. up, he was pretty cool. Um, the name Oscar for the statue is steeped in like three different stories that no one can confirm. One is that Betty Davis, the famous old, you know, black and white film star actress who the big eyes, Betty Davis eyes, have you ever heard that? Yeah. Betty Davis says, um, she said that the, the statue looked like her husband, Harmon Oscar Nelson. It obviously, I don't know what he looks like, but maybe it did. Um, the Academy librarian, Margaret Herrick, said it looked like her uncle Oscar. And a columnist, Sidney Skolsky, said he named it to negate the pretension of the award shows, which I don't know what that means. Basically bashing the name Oscar by it's a pretentious award with this name that's not pretentious. I guess, yeah. That's not very fascinating. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I don't, I, Sydney doesn't win. <laughs> Whatever. Um, 12 awards were presented at the first Academy Awards. Janet Gaynor won for Best Actress. The Best Picture was Wings by Paramount. Um, and Al, jo- Al Jolson sang for the guests. And Errol Flynn served bootleg gin in the barbershop's back room because uh, this was during Prohibition. Remember, right. it was 1929. Um, the award show is now held in clearly the Dolby Theater, which was used to be the Kodak Theater, at the Hollywood and Highland Center, and it's been there since it opened in 2001. Um, so I was thinking of some of the music that they played during the Oscars, and there's so you know you think about there's so many different orchestra you know orchestra orchestra music um, that like you know when the opening credits the closing credits when everybody gets their they get the award and they walk on you know down the aisle whatever mm-hmm. and i thought maybe there was maybe one composer you know um but there's not there's a gazillion and i think they it sounds like they switch it up during each um year i could be wrong but there's an a gazillion um playlists on either your itunes or spotify or soundcloud where if you just type in um the Academy Awards, you can look up a ton of different or, you know, instrumental music, or you can look up the does it have a main, musicals that have won. Does it have a main theme song? The, uh, like the Academy Awards? I thought it did, because that's what I was trying to, to yeah. do. I found a song. I'm going to play it for you. Um, it's by Greg Holme. It's H-U-L-M-E. So it's either Holm or Holme or Hume. Um, but let me play it for you, if I can. Hold on, this might get static. Get a little static. No biggie, though. I know, sorry. I've been very good. Uh, here, here, I'll play real quick. It's very Oscar-y.
And it says it's the Oscars theme, that if you type in Oscars theme, there's a bunch of different stuff. But this one's by Greg Holmey or whatever his name is. It's it pretty very, cool. Yeah, it's very dramatic. Sorry, Super I stopped Oscar. that abruptly. I know you don't like no, it's that. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> so that's that is a brief history of the Oscars. Well, I actually did not know any of that. And it's not really of the Oscars. It's of the corner of Hollywood and Highland, right. which is I think what we'll call this episode is, you know, that's that kind of corner of how it went from being probably beautiful, you know, Cahuenga Valley to where movie stars flock every year to get their awards mm-hmm. in their gazillion thousand dollar dresses and limos and they block off streets for days and days to accommodate everybody yep. and and all the flashy stuff happens well it's, I, I didn't know that it started out like uh that the whole area started out as like a well, it was like a retiree place almost i mean it was yeah, like, so retired definitely specifically retired it was also you know i had i had a um you know, I read you that ad mm. of like the hotel, um, but there was a few. Did I save? I have a. I don't have a rickety ricker or anything this week. I did find something funny that I thought would be more interesting to talk about, um, but I did find a bunch of ads at that time for the area, and a lot of it was either for wealthy retirees or like a summer kind of getaway especially the hotels either a summer getaway or a weekend getaway because of the climate and then it was also because there were so many people with so many ailments in la supposedly you know with um respiratory issues or whatever because of the pollution that getting out to the country breeze and the ocean breeze was a huge a marketing ploy to get everybody to move out there it was like no different than when you know Hollywood got congested and then everybody started moving up to the hills it was like oh now we're congested here move up to the hills right. the hills has the breeze you'll be healthier up there and now the hills so. are pretty congested <laughs> or fiery yeah. and another thing that, that was interesting was that um, one of the main streams besides the LA River was through Laurel Canyon and it Laurel Canyon was a, a massive stream that came, came through there and by the early or by the late 1800s, right before the turn of the century, they had blasted through that area so much trying to get all the water out of it that it compl- basically dried up. Really? And that was their main water source. Well, yeah. That sucks. It yeah. is. It's still the. I mean, the hills are like pretty. West Hollywood and that's nice and everything. Yeah. But uh, I feel like there's too much Reading. infrastructure around the Hollywood area, Hollywood and Highland. Of course. There's a ton there. It's too many people. Okay. So I have. A fascinating instead of Dorothy Ricker I found a, a thing that I love more than other things are ads from um, the time and this was an ad I think from 1902 from the LA Times and it's called every man who shaves should avoid chances of contad what is this contad Contagi- contagion 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 yeah, contagion why can't I, why could i not read that contagion it looks, <laughs> it looks weird like contagion, contagion. <laughs> so every male who shaves using, sh- should avoid contagion yes, this con- is contagion? this is for all the this is for all the males okay. out here you should avoid it by using coke antiseptic cream foam 
says better than any soap or shaving stick gives quicker better shave than any soap or stick lathers instantly does not dry up does away with shaving mug and soap entire and soap entirely comes in 25 cent collapsible tubes your barber will tell you will use it if you ask him you know what this is right Mm-mm. coke antiseptic cream foam what like actual it's cocaine co- it's coca-cola coca-cola <laughs> yes coca-cola so back shaving cream drinking drinking coca-cola coca-cola was back in the day because it had like phosphoric acid yeah. in it it still does but because of the certain acids in it people thought it was an antiseptic so they would put it on wounds they would use it like like uh, you know to clean out stuff and so they thought if you put it on your face or even in your hair that it would get rid of bacteria and <laughs> it would help you from not getting contagions that's v- extremely bizarre <laughs> isn't that funny <laughs> so then there's an ad below it which i thought was hilarious called um called uh dr wong company and chinese herbs he investigates the famous wong remedies improves um improves and perfects for all generations he has a record of 19 years in los angeles and those who tried him um, as a last resort have been restored their health with herbs and medicine and do not go to the sanitarium <laughs> he's a he's an herbalist <laughs> i'm still i'm honestly still coca-cola why would you just because there's and if the coke doesn't work go to dr Wong, i guess so because he's got chinese herbs which actually is probably the only legitimate thing in this right 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 because right. <laughs> then wait listen to this <laughs> so this man the title of this little ad is was bald six years okay three months of the new scientific treatment restored his hair baldness is caused by dandruff which is caused by a germ kill the germ and there is most certainly that hair will grow again if the follicles has not been totally destroyed nels peterson of lime spur montana says I had been bald six years and had tried um, all kinds of cures, but without any benefit whatsoever until I tried herbicide, sorry, herbicide, Mm. H-E-R-P-I-C-I-D-E. November 1989, I began using herbicide, and in the three months, a fine growth of hair covered my head completely. Ask your druggist for herbicide. Everyone can have luxuriant, glossy hair. Use it thoroughly. Uh, Take no substitutes. Send 10 cents in stamps for sample. So basically just scams. Like, you can just make a company that's completely not legitimate and then just ask people for money and, and like, no repercussions. But I... find it fascinating that they thought baldness was caused by dandruff which is called by a germ so they're basically saying wash your hair and then you won't go bald but that's or put this tonic some crazy tonic on your hair which by the way is making you go bald 
And if he was bald six years and had, now has fine stuff on his hair, I wonder what the herbicide it, herbicide is. He probably just not a herbicide. It's herbicide. He probably just started growing mold on his head or something. He's like, yeah, this is my hair now. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's super weird. Okay, I had one other thing. Where is it? Oh, okay. So I do have a house. It's actually yes, it's a house. Um, an ad but I need to read you a little bit of the history that I could pop up here. Okay, so I was looking at like a house of the week. Okay. This is from the Los Angeles Times, uh, October 20th, 1912. This is an ad for a sale, and one specific thing caught my eye that I was like, that's interesting. So, uh, for sale, a beautiful and artistic, thoroughly modern seven-room bungalow, two baths, Furnace, etc., hardwood floors, built-in buffet, wide cement porch, everything artistic, large lot on an exceptionally fine neighborhood, small Jap house. This bungalow is probably the most admired one of many in Hollywood, and the price is reasonable, $8,000. <laughs> it must be seen to be appreciated reasonable terms. And this was across the street, specifically says it's opposite the Hotel Hollywood. Okay. So... Do you know what a Jap house is? I do not know what a Jap house is. Okay. And I'm not saying it's, I'm quoting this. I'm not saying anything, hopefully, to offend anybody, but that's what it was. So that caught my eye because I was like, what does that mean? I know from all the reading I did, the research this, that when they were doing, um, they were subdividing all these lots out here and a lot of the agriculture business um, back then, you're your farm helpers and everything were all mostly Chinese and Japanese. They were all Asian descent, Mm -hmm. um, which is, uh, at the time was partly because of the influx of immigrants coming from those areas. But also, uh, when Hawaii became a state or Hawaii, it wasn't become a state, but Hawaii, something was going on in Hawaii where they, they got rid of basically indentured servitude. Mm -hmm. And when all those people were, you know, the Japanese and Chinese uh, over there that were in indentured servitude, they all fled basically to California or the West Coast when they were set kind of, you know, free in so many words. So there was a law that was passed in California. It's called the California Alien Land Law of 1913, which prohibited uh, Chinese, Indian, Japanese, and Korean immigrant farmers, specifically in California, from leasing or buying land. Okay. And or owning, they couldn't own agricultural land, and they couldn't possess long-term leases. And that was in hopes of deterring them from staying here. Basically, they were trying to get them out of here because people were hold on to your seat thinking that they were taking jobs away from oh really that never happens <laughs> big shocker yeah. white people so um, so this was the japanese and asian cultures japanese and chinese people what was it yes it, chinese indian japanese and yeah, korean okay. asian people well so to avoid this law what i was re- what i was reading was if you had a jap house or quote unquote Japanese house. Jap is short for this article clearly, but it was a jet called the Japanese house or Chinese house, and that was on your property. It was basically a way to keep your immigrant workers up as a part of your family, a part of your land legally. You know, even though this was in 1912, it was this was a year before the act was assigned into a yeah. law. Um, but 
they were already trying to prohibit before it was actually signed into a law before the in nineteen. So they were trying. They were, they were actively, trying to like. They were actively. They were trying to yeah, keep the, the Japanese trained. people there. Right. If you, if you wanted, if you had that, you had them as like servants and stuff, or any Asian right. people, by having right. them on their property in a Jap house. Right. So that quote unquote. Right. So that was a way of keeping the people that you've either had yeah. for a long time or hiring somebody long term. If you had the separate house for them, then that was kind of the loophole to this act where they couldn't own property so you would have a house for them which was a desirable thing if you had property that you needed tending to like a farm or you know some kind of agricultural plot or whatever so of course Um, everybody wants to kick them out but if they'll do the job that you don't want to do well okay i guess it's all right then right classic interesting that is very weird i didn't know that i'd never heard of that either so that was just kind of an interesting thing that i learned that i dug up through this entire thing so there you go. That's our little kind of mishmash episode of <laughs> multiple things. Multiple things. It was things. all interesting. The, the, the thing that, that I is fascinating is to hear the the name, especially like the names of the people that the streets are now, because they're such legendary streets right. all all around there. And it is right. that whole area is set up pretty specifically, almost with the way the roads are and everything. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess now it makes sense. Um, well, and there specifically that you know. And Daida and Harvey, they made those streets, you know, they wanted them very straight, you know, and very like a grid, which is exactly what it is. Um, Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's cool. There you go. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. We should do a we should do an ad next episode at the beginning or something. Or didn't you say you wanted to try and do an ad? Oh, you mean for the our podcast here? Oh, I, I meant an ad on like that I have to put oh. out on Instagram or something so people actually know we're alive and we're All right, here. well, speaking of Instagram, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram I can and never remember if it's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook or just Instagram and Twitter. Almost. I think it's Twitter. It's at Almost LA Podcast. And on Instagram, it's Almost LA. All right. And then we have Almost LA Podcast at gmail.com. Right. And so far, that's it. All right. I know we have listeners that are out there, so I'd like to hear from them. If they could leave a subscribe, rate, and review, mm-hmm. that would be amazing. Besides my mom, shout out Nana, who's listened to every shout episode. Shout out to Nana. We have, you know, we've had about six, 76 downloads at this point, which I yeah. think is pretty impressive for having six people on our Instagram. And it's fun, so. too, so that's the good thing. <laughs> it's yeah. fun. Yay. All right, so I hope I'm going to go try to watch the Oscars because I recorded okay. it. Um, you can go back to bed from your long <laughs> my long weekend party right. weekend. You had a birthday party that yeah, you went to. Yeah, dual birthday party. Lots of sleep. Just slept in. <laughs> Cleaned the next day. Slept after that. Very tired. Very boring weekend. I'm actually gonna go practice yeah. guitar right now though. Your fun jazz that you're so oh, excited I know about. so much jazz in school. <laughs> Okay, well, go do your jazz. I'm going to go watch the Oscars, and everybody have a great week, and we'll crank something else. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye.